Okay. So that's us recording. I'll put it there. Um, so, um, Jim, uh, thank you for talking to us. Um, first of all, just tell me um, if we write an article, how you would best like to be described? Uh, I'm a former government statistician. I was uh, at one stage in Scottish office chief statistician. Um, I'm an interest in um, uh, economic statistics and the public finances. Yes, and you spent a while since you retired investigating uh, PFI and related schemes. Yes, since I retired, my wife Margaret and myself have spent a lot of time researching various aspects of public finances and one of the areas that we both got heavily involved in working together um, was looking at um, private finance industry schemes. There was a lot wrong with what became known as PFI schemes. Uh, just summarise for me, what was the problem with them? Well, the idea of PFI was to get capital expenditure off the government's books. The way government accounting works, if, if, um, if government just goes out and builds a capital asset, the cost of that capital asset is charged against its accounts in that year. The idea was to get round that. Uh, so the provision of the capital asset was swept up with the provision of services. So instead of buying a school, you would buy the services of a service school for say 30 years. Now there are a number of implications of this. First of all it made the contracts extremely complex uh, and because of that complexity uh, and the fact that you had to bundle services and capital together they were large. They were very large complex projects. Few people could tender for those um, uh, and that meant that it was a very restricted market. Uh, secondly it turned out that the Treasury had not really understood very well the nature of the financing. So one of the big problems when we looked at it was we found that the um, financing costs, particularly on equity, I mean there's basically two types of finance, 90% uh, of the capital cost of a typical PFI project will be borrowed say from a bank, that's called senior debt and it's relatively cheap. The remaining 10% will come in as one or other form of equity, that's risk capital. And naturally, because the risk capital is bearing risk, it gets a higher return. Um, the Treasury regarded a return of about 15% uh, in the early days of PSPI as being reasonable. What the Treasury hadn't realised was that the actual payments to the equity holders were being made by and large very late in the project. So that that 15% interest was accumulating, rather like getting the hands of money lender over the length of the project. And that meant that the eventual payment when it came was very large and very valuable. So although the equity holders were earning 15 or 17%, they were earning that on an outstanding debt that on average was maybe twice or even more of the capital they put in. And that meant that if they wanted to sell that stream of payments, say to a pension fund, uh, soon after the building phase of the project was completed, that sale would be extremely profitable. Uh, and the Treasury really missed the fact that very large potential profits were being smuggled through in PFI schemes because of this end loading of the return on equity. 
So in a nutshell, the taxpayer was ripped off. In several schemes, the taxpayer was indeed ripped off, and parliamentary committees indeed commented on the unacceptable returns that were being, were being earned. Um, now, of course, in Scotland, the Scottish Government has introduced a, a series of new schemes under the Scottish Futures Trust, which are meant to be better. Tell me how they're meant to be better, how they're differently structured. The, the basic idea was to take out the pure equity component. I mentioned that the, in the broad, the broad sense equity financing consists of subordinate debt and pure equity, that's the issue of shares which attract dividends. And the idea of the Scottish Futures Trust was that that share element should be taken out. The elements of financing would just be senior debt and subordinate debt. Um, and any profit that accrued in the project was going well uh, would at the end of the day be taken out largely as a payment to a nominated charity or back to the authority rather than as a dividend payment to the, uh, to the equity owner. So the idea was to take out the pure equity element of financing and so reduce the scope for very profitable dividend or eliminate the scope for very profitable dividend payments. They talk about them as being capping the profits of profit caps so that that's, that's what you mean, right? Yes. And we analysed, Margaret and I wrote a paper, which is on our website, analysing um, two early NPD, non-profit distributing schemes. We were lucky to get the financial projections for those. And indeed, there had been a very significant uh, change in the nature of the stream of financing payments, uh, so that the um, uh, amount of the average outstanding debt in which the... Um, subordinate debt interest was being earned um, was much lower than under PFI. In that sense, there's no doubt that NPD worked and transformed the, the, um, the structure of the, and, and, and the cost of um, producing the product. That's not to say, though, however, that it's perfect, because a number of other issues um, um, arise. But tell me about those other issues. Right. Um, one of them is the question of whether risk is actually being transferred to the, um, to the private sector. The whole logic of PFI was that a substantial amount of risk was being transferred to the private sector. That, enabled, that, that was the acid test that enabled them to get it off the government's books. And it was that transfer of risk that justified the relatively high returns that were being earned on equity. Uh, but if, in a sense, the dividend pot in an NPD scheme is largely coming back to the public sector or public sector nominee, and if that dividend pot is a thing that will be hit if an adverse risk event occurs, then in a sense, the, um, it's not the private sector that is bearing risk, but it's actually the public sector that is bearing risk all along. So. There's a big question with NPD schemes about whether the extent to which risk is actually being transferred to the private sector. Uh, tell me what you mean by risk and what could happen. I mean, what sort of things are we, uh, as an example, uh, concerned might happen where the risk might end up falling on the public rather than the private purse? Yes. I mean, I think a good example would be the Scottish Parliament was built by conventional procurement and things started to go wrong with the building process and the public sector just found itself putting 
I can't remember the figures now, but it put his, had to put his hand in his own pocket to a great extent. Under PFI, the contract is struck and it's up to the contractor to deliver to that price. And if there's something goes wrong with the building, then in principle, they are due to make that good. Um, and what you're saying is under uh, the, the, the new tranche of projects under, under the Scottish Futures Trust, it's unclear how much of the risk has transferred from the public to the private sector. That, exactly. And interestingly, the, um, the, the group of progress, projects called non-profit distributing projects, um, several of those have recently been reclassified by the Office of National Statistics so they come back onto the government books. The, um, the classic case is the Aberdeen Western, Western Peripheral Route and that cost the Scottish Government um, almost 300 million in one year because it suddenly had to take that back onto its, onto its books. And it was precisely these issues of risk transfer that were among the things that the Office of National Statistics were identifying as being unsatisfactory, which led them to that reclassification. Yes. Um, the, um, we'll, we'll return to that because that's, that's very interesting. I hadn't yet finished on possible problems with yes. NPD. The, the other one is, um, in the first two schemes we looked at, um, in, what happens is that the consortium, the special purpose vehicle, who are actually undertaking the building of the school or whatever and running it for 30 years, goes out and borrows money, raises money, as, 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 as I've explained. Um, in the, the two schemes that we looked at, a significant, you know, a, a not insignificant element of that money that had been borrowed went into um, a balance at the end of the construction period and effectively grew there as if it was a bank account till the end of the, um, till the, end of the project. And that raises questions um, which really need to be probed uh, because if at the end of the day the public sector is getting a surplus back but it's paying for that um, by paying the, um, uh, the, the interest, the implicit interest rate uh, implicit in the, um, in the funding of the project then that might be a very inefficient way of actually raising um, some money at the end of the, the, end of the scheme. Uh, so there's concern that uh, the taxpayer is paying more than taxpayers are paying more than they should, possibly? In effect, a bit of the surplus which comes back to the public sector, a public sector nominee at the end, is generated by borrowing, let's say, if I can figure it there, £10 million at the beginning of the project at possibly a negative rate of interest, which would be a very expensive way to, thing to do to generate a, a surplus after 30 years. But we can't be sure that that's what's happening? The figures were highly suggestive. Um, and, but this is the sort of thing that really needs to be, um, needs to be probed further and uh, there needs to be much greater openness. And one of the big worries about NPD, in fact I think my major worry about NPD is that whereas under PFI, although it was difficult to get information, uh, actually because of an active information commissioner and active trade unions, the detailed financial projections for a number of PFI schemes did eventually become available and they were fascinating. For 
schemes under the Scottish Futures Trust, that tap has turned off completely. There's extremely limited information about what is going on. And that is really probably the biggest problem about NP, uh, about Scottish Futures Trust activities. The lack of information we have, lack of accountability. They would say that they're providing lots of information. They're giving us the uh, whole contracts. They're giving us, in some cases, financial summaries. Um, uh, and they're being as open as they possibly can within, uh, you know, within, within their commercial confines. Um, but you think that's not the case. We need to know more. Well, I mean, th this question of the commercial confines is, is an interesting one. And when the Scottish Futures Trust is asked for information, it tends to quote the commerciality and confidence, yeah. the, the, the need to protect commercial confidences as being the reason for not divulging information. One could put forward entirely the opposite argument that here we have effective public sector uh, purchasing from the private sector and it's an interest of the public sector to have as open and active a market as possible. If someone has managed to sell a contract to the public sector which has got a bit of fat in there, surely after a decent interval making that contract public will let other operators out there see, gosh, here's a pretty good opportunity and they'll come in future ones with lower bids. So there's a strong argument saying that the argument for commercial entitlement and confidence should be turned on its head. After all, the public sector is paying for this. Uh, so it can specify when it's letting its contracts, whatever terms it wants. And it could well say a condition of doing this is that these things will be open after some quite short time interval. Whereas, by contrast, they've tended to keep all their financial models very close to their chests. Very close to their chests, indeed. And even when, as in the case of the Dumfries Gallery Hospital, um, some information is released, then that doesn't give the crucial yearly information, it's just financial summaries. And they attempted to redact critical information like the um, internal rate of return on, uh, uh, on equity. Uh, so, you know, the availability of information, even in those cases which have been relatively good, um, is far from what is, what is required. The whole system of Scottish Futures Trust uh, and the, the way the money is spent is too secretive and needs to be opened up. Put that in your own words, however you wish. Yes, I would, I, 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 I would agree with that. Um, I mean, the, 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 from what little has come out, one can identify issues that need to be probed, but there isn't the information there to be able to say categorically what is going on. And <clears throat> I think there's both a need for information, uh, but the information raises questions. There's also the need either for a forum so that those questions can be probed, or at least reassurance that the questions have been probed. But at present, you know, there are questions in the air and there's no way of knowing whether anyone's looked at that and said, yes, we've looked at that, that's fine. We're doing this for this particular reason. We're doing it this way for this particular reason. That doesn't exist. Thank you. I'm going to stop for a second and make sure all that's okay. Right. Thank you. That was all very good. Um, and uh, do you want some water or no, something? Thank you. Okay. Um, Okay, we're now recording again. Um.
So you just mentioned um, the figures that we got from uh, the NHS about the project about a new hospital in, in Dumfries. Um, what do they do, do you think they show us that's, that's interesting? Well, this was very interesting because it was the only non-profit distributing scheme done under the auspices of the Scottish Futures Trust that we had any information on. So it was fascinating to see um, how it was going to shape up. And actually, in several respects, um, the um, impression is quite positive. Um, it turns out that the um, average return being earned on the subordinate debt, that is the risk capital, is 11.29%. Now that wasn't a figure actually which was meant to be out there, but it was one which clever people in the uh, ferret were able to, to ferret out. Uh, now given that that is meant to include the allowance for risk transfer, um, it's not obviously a, a, a dreadful figure that. Furthermore, that 11.29%, as far as we can gather, and again was inferring a bit from, from inadequate figures, was being earned on an average outstanding debt over the period of the project of about 58% of the capital that had been put in. Um, that was very different from PFI, where the corresponding figure would, uh, for, the, for overall equity would have been very much higher. Um, and uh, so that, those two figures um, were in a sense encouraging. They, they didn't immediately say things are going badly wrong here. Uh, and, and sorry to interrupt, but another way of putting that, uh, as you know, is, is to say that um, you know, contractors were charging 162 million to borrow 242 million um, uh, for, for the Dumfries Hospital. But from what you're saying, uh, that may not be unreasonable. Yes, I would say that that may not be unreasonable. Remember, we're talking about probably 30 year project here. Uh, compound anything up over 30 years uh, at an interest rate like 11%, and you, you are talking large sums of money. The, the critical thing is how reasonable is that 11.29% interest rate? Uh, and the critical question there is to what extent is risk? actually being transferred to the private sector. Um, and that, from the base from the figures themselves, one cannot uh, necessarily see. Um, what means there, who picks up the pieces if something goes wrong, if, if walls fall down, if roofs leak, if something goes, major goes wrong with the project? Something major or something minor. Um, presumably, if it was a catastrophic episode, then the private sector provider would either go bust or draw in deep pockets elsewhere. Um, but if it was a fairly minor failing, then what would be reduced would be the surplus which is due to accrue at the end of the project, presumably to some pub public private sector, sorry, to somebody nominated by the public sector. Um, it's a point I made earlier about the NPD model. It is not clear to what extent risk is actually transferred. So that was one of the big issues was the extent to which risk was being, uh, was being transferred. So the numbers we have from Dumfries and Galloway Hospital um, uh, are interesting because they show us 
how much money is liable to be changing hands, but they don't allow us to interpret uh, uh, to what extent the public purse is getting a good or bad deal because we don't know um, uh, how, how much risk is being transferred. That's right, that's right. But the suspicion is, and this is the conclusion that the Office of National Statistics came to in looking at the AWPR, that under the NPD model, um, the degree of risk transfer is actually inadequate. Um, so you know, that, that, that is one big worry about the Friesen Gallery and about the whole NPD model, which needs to be probed. Well, of course, Dumfries and Galloway has now, because of ONR's uh, uh, intervention, been been put on the public books mm-hmm. for that reason. Yes, yes. Another issue, which again needs to be probed, is a question I raised earlier about um, the initial surplus. That out of the, I think it was two hundred forty million, which was borrowed initially, about eleven million. Um, seems to have gone into a surplus category. Now, we don't have the year-by-year information to find out what happens to that, uh, but, but is it the case that that initial balance um, grows and um, ends up as part of the, uh, sur- end of the projected end-of-project surplus? If so, it might be an expensive way for the public sector to fund an element of the final, the final surplus. And again, that's something that needs to be um, needs to be probed. So, on the basis of uh, the information we have on Dumfries Hospital, uh, we can't tell whether it's a good deal or a bad deal for for, for the taxpayer. That's true. Uh, it's probably a good deal, better deal than if it had been done by early conventional PFI. Uh, but there are a number of issues round about it that we just can't tell from the available information. So, what do you think should happen um, that would enable us to um, uh, uh, move forward on this? Um, should there be an independent investigation, say by Audit Scotland or, or Hollywood, or, or, or should we scrap the scheme and start again? Or what? I certainly think that there should be an investigation and a change of culture on the part of the Scottish Futures Trust so that there is much more openness about what is happening and about the characteristics of what we are what we're getting. Uh, and I think that openness would go a long way towards either allaying worries or pointing to changes that could be could be made. Um, would an investigation by a parliamentary committee or Audit Scotland be a useful way of proceeding? Yes. Um, Provided it could um, get, at, get at the information. Uh, but, I mean, would the Scottish Futures Trust um, say that this is commercial incompetence? And indeed, would the relevant information reside in bodies underneath the Scottish Futures Trust, which are technically private sector, or claim to be private sector bodies? So there's good questions, I think, about whether an investigation would be able to get hold of the required information. An investigation would need to be tough enough and have enough powers to kind of 
strip away the opaque nature of what's happening. Yes, yes. Um, so the, the NPD projects that are now on the public balance sheet that you've referred to, which I think include Dumfries Hospital, but also the Blood Transfusion HQ, the Sick Kids and the Aberdeen Bypass, if we had um, built projects like that uh, in, in, in the old-fashioned conventional way of financing them by government borrowing, would they have been cheaper? That's the $60 million, uh, $60 million question. Uh, I, I just don't know the answer to that. No. Um, do we know... I mean, presumably it's cheaper for the state to borrow money than it is for the private sector in doing these projects? Absolutely. Um, but again, the, 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 the questions are, what expertise is the private sector bringing to the process um, to potentially justify higher borrowing costs? And to what extent are they actually um, accepting genuine risk transfer? Uh, and unless one has got pretty good um, studies on the capacity of the public sector, and in particular cases, um, pretty careful comparisons with sort of the public sector comparator, it's very difficult to answer this type of question. Without the kind of transparency you're talking about, do you think there's a risk that um, Scottish Futures Trust projects could be building up financial problems for future governments? Absolutely. Um, the, um, particularly, I think, on the, um, on the local authority side, um, local authorities are under a strong incentive to participate in um, various SFT, Scottish Futures Trust, projects. And the government puts in a good deal of direct support to such projects. But local authorities are very poor in their long-term financial planning. Oh, the Scotland have made that point. Um, and also the future climate of for local authority budgets is very uncertain. So the, um, uh, you know, the potential there for things going rather badly wrong. Which is another argument for understanding what we're doing now. Absolutely. Um, so I get the feeling from what you're saying that um, uh, you lean towards public borrowing as a better model for financing these kind of, you know, for financing schools and hospitals rather than involving the private sector. I think that's probably putting it a bit too strong. How would you put it? I think um, if the private sector has genuine skills to deliver reasonable projects on time, um, can they be incentivised to do that um, on a reasonable basis? And it's not at all clear, we just don't have the information at present um, to establish that we're actually managing that. It's very clear we didn't do that under PFI. We did not do that under PFI. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said before, we were ripped off. Um, the jury is still out on 
Scottish Futures Trust uh, schemes because uh, although there were some worrying indications, we don't know enough. That's right. So an inquiry. Yeah. Thank you. Right. I think <coughs> you went over everything there. Good. You were very clear.